Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. Legend tells of a legendary warrior whose kung fu skills were the stuff of legend. He traveled the land in search of worthy foes. I see you like to chew. Maybe you should chew on my fist! The warrior said nothing, for his mouth was full. Then he swallowed. And then he spoke. Enough talk. Let's fight. He was so deadly, in fact, that his enemies would go blind from overexposure to pure awesomeness. He's too awesome and attractive. How can we repay you? There is no charge for awesomeness or attractiveness. It mattered not how many foes he faced. They were no match for his bodacity! Never before had a panda been so feared and so loved. Even the most heroic heroes in all of China, the Furious Five, bowed in respect to this great master. We should hang out. Agreed. But hanging out would have to wait. Because when you're facing the 10,000 demons of Demon Mountain, there's only one thing that matters. And that's... Oh. Get up! You'll be late for work! What? Hello, Sharon. Hello. And with us to review this first movie from Game Burst is Jerome McIntosh. Good day, sir. Good day. This was a movie I had zero expectations of. At the time, DreamWorks were on their third disastrous Shrek movie, which was on the heels of B-Movie, Flushed Away, Madagascar, Shark Tale, and Over the Hedge. We were two years off of How to Train Your Dragon, and all hope of quality animated pictures emerging from that studio was pretty much gone. The trailer was just a fat guy joke, with Poe struggling at the steps and nothing else. Just the name and the premise, it was all in all one to skip. But various reviews suggested that there was a lot more to this and it shouldn't be dismissed. Paying them heed, we cautiously attended and it turned out to be wonderful. On a deeply personal and gratifying level. This movie is up there, for me, with the best of Disney, Pixar and Studio Ghibli on my list of favourite animated movies. It may even occupy the loftiest spot at the top of the mountain. On the surface, this is a fun, anthropomorphic animal story about a clumsy panda who wants to do kung fu and winds up saving China after learning that all you have to do is be yourself. Going deeper, this is a really tight, carefully considered hero's journey with philosophical undertones and a gaggle of bright, fun characters, each with their own desires and frustrations. To go one further, it is a retelling, whether intentional or not, of the essential hero stories of the original and prequel Star Wars trilogies. Tai Lun the Snow Leopard is Master Shifu's incredibly talented former student that he believed he could teach as well as Ugwe. He was wrong. Tai Lun is, in his own eyes, the hero, 
of his own story, wreaking bloody vengeance in an implied massacre when ultimate power is denied him by the cautious monks, wary of what he will do if he attains what he perceives as completion. He is cast down and imprisoned in darkness until a new student appears who does what he could not, achieving master warrior status, but more importantly, wisdom and peace with humility, fluidity and kindness. It is a story about hope and aspiration and what a hard road it can be to fulfill that for oneself. The greatest obstacle along the way is our own fixed idea about how we are going to achieve our goals. It's about letting go of that rigid mindset and accepting unanticipated outcomes. It's a story about frustration, fear and regret. Poe's father is afraid his son will leave his humdrum noodle-making life, which is all the poor goose can offer him. Poe is afraid that this will be all he is ever defined by, a clear clash of what he and his father yearn for most of all. Shifu is afraid he will never find the true dragon warrior, up to the point where he and Ugwe attempt to find him with the old trick of closing one's eyes and pointing. I strongly suspect that when the little red panda, because Shifu's a red panda, first came to the thousand-year-old Galapagos turtle, the inventor of Kung Fu, it was young Shifu himself who believed he was going to be the dragon warrior. He has never let go of the frustration of finding out that this was not going to be the case, putting all of his energy instead into finding and training the real one, blinding himself to his ultimately fatal choice until it was too late. Shifu is filled with guilt over what happened with Tai Lun and blames himself. He's deeply frustrated at training the Furious Five for years and still finding them unable to meet his now impossibly high expectations. Master Tigress is frustrated and saddened at not being quite as good as Tai Lun and as a result never quite achieving the role of Dragon Warrior. She is furious that Poe dropped out of the sky in front of her, robbing her of this honour that she's studied for all her life. Shifu is even more furious at being lumbered with a fat, clumsy, apparently smelly, undisciplined buffoon of a panda. An embarrassing joke and an insult to both his abilities and his lifelong duty. To get past this, both Tigress and by extension the rest of the disappointed Furious Five and Master Shifu must all accept one simple premise espoused by Master Ugwe that threads throughout this whole story. There are no accidents. Everything that happens enables the story to advance further towards the point that Poe reaches his potential and Tai Lun is ultimately vanquished. The only way Shifu is able to let go of this frustration and his own failure that is blocking him from inner peace is to accept Poe's weaknesses and find his strengths, and then follow that up with a sincere apology to Tai Lun, which in turn symbolizes his acceptance of his own manifold weaknesses, as well as those of his students, current and former. The drama of this film is superb. The comedy works wonderfully in tandem with it, and that's no mean feat considering that the comedy is a blend of dryly humorous dialogue and slapstick. By the end, we've gone through heartache, loss, and redemption, gathering to a sequence of pure awesomeness. Rather than making the last battle savage and intense, it's a joyful celebration of Kung Fu. Poe completes his journey outside his adopted father's noodle shop, the same panda that he's always been, as indicated by the Dragon Scroll. He has, of course, learned a whole bunch of Kung Fu moves the hard way, but crucially, the only thing absent is the sense that an immense wall stands between him and being the panda he wishes to be. There is no wall.
I love the Eastern influence. I like the comedy of it, and I really enjoy like um, how instead of Poe does become like the traditional martial artist, he finds a way to work his own style. Mm. Actually, we can talk about that style here. Uh, it's it's kind of an adaptation of drunken boxing, especially when he's uh, going up against uh, Thailand at the very very end. Uh, you know, if you watch, it, it's it's adapted to his body type, and and so there's a the fact that he's incredibly bouncy. It means that blows just literally, you know, boing straight off him. But he's, he's, he's it's a very fluid, um, very uh, unpredictable fighting style. And, you know, one, one of the tenets of uh, drunken boxing appears to be a kind of a goofy happiness in, in, in doing so. If you watch Jackie Chan's uh, Drunken Master movies, yeah. uh, he, he, you know, it's... It, it's throwing your opponent off who usually becomes extremely angry at you because you're sort of flopping all over the place. And then, um, you know, you can unpredictably, you know, whack them with incredibly dazzling moves that tend to sort of happen by accident, just sort of allowing the universe to move through you. It's in- Obviously, they couldn't cite it as drunken boxing in a kid's film and say, hey, kids, go get drunk. It makes you a great fighter. But it seems to be derived from that. I could be wrong. I think what they do, though, is um, focus your attention on the idea that the the style Poe uses is very like water. There's a lot of yeah, scenes yeah. where they come back to this idea of things flowing um, and things basically just doing what they are supposed to do. There's a, a particular concept um, of mind-like water, the idea that water responds to things at exactly the right proportion. If you have a very fiery style, you overreact to everything. Earth barely moves at all. Um, air has this way of, of just allowing things to move through it, but water is sort of responsive at exactly the right level. So whatever is whatever affects it it reacts. You get these ripples in the pool, which they use um, the, the ripples when... Um, uh, Tylon and Uguay do the um, the nerve attacks as well, and then the idea being that after that strike, it then reverts back to still and calm and ready and waiting for the next thing to happen. Yeah. Um. Uh, one of the um, key things that uh, Mantis brings up is that um, he he created the star all of his own, like. What, one thing you notice, they all have their separate styles that work mm. best for them. Mm. And trying to um, ape a different um, style just doesn't work if your body isn't built for that. That's why yeah. Mantis is so quick and darting about. Viper uh, like, is a lot of quick movement, stopping, zigzagging. And Monkey's just like all over the place, whereas Tigress's raw power like solidified against you. And Crane is more lofty and uh, fluid mm-hmm. and poe has to learn that he, he's not he's not trying trying to be like the strong and fast tiger that uh, um, master sifu is more used to trend because he's probably he's seemed to always use um tai lung as a basis for power yeah not even thinking of his own way of fighting where he actually uses his opponent's strength against them, which is completely different from how he was teaching everybody else. Absolutely. Well, 
first thing that strikes you when you uh, watch the movie is the music. Hans Zimmer has uh, made a habit in in the past of uh, adding an oriental flavour to some movies, which you know have no place for it. Like if you listen to Gladiator, there's a lot of uh, where now we are free um, was on the trailer for House of Flying Daggers and worked perfectly for that and that's from Gladiator where not a Chinese person turns up once as far as I can remember Again, it's 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 a film about um, a guy driving his brother across America. No, at no point do they go to China, but uh, it, it's got that Eastern flavour. And then uh, I believe Zimmer also did Black Rain. But here, he's finally allowed to cut loose, and his score is incredible. It's Lion King levels of fantastic. And uh, the the actual intro sequence itself. I, I don't think I can think of anything quite as action-packed and endearing in in the same equal measure uh, as, as basically, you know, the, the idea of a, an innocent but incredibly excitable teenager's kung fu fantasy uh, being played out, you know, voiced by Jack Black, who has mm. always been maybe one of the most enthusiastic without being, you know, to tipping over into wholly annoying actors in Hollywood. Um just just lines like, you know, the, 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 there was no match for his bodacity and people would go blind from exposure to pure awesomeness. <laughs> it's sublime, this sequence. I see you like to chew. Maybe you should chew on my fist. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a tribute to, to kung fu movies of old, but yes. through the filter of an, in, an incredibly enthusiastic teenager. It's like a mishmash of Saturday morning cartoons alongside old kung fu movies yeah. amalgamated yeah um actually we, we we went back and watched a bit of uh, wayne's world 2 just to watch james hong in action uh he's uh um poe's father the, the goose in this and there's a bit where he does that kung fu scene both that and meet the robinsons made the mistake of dating the living hell out of their scene they weren't well uh wayne's world 2 wasn't to know it but um by the time meet the robinsons came out the idea of poorly dubbed kung fu very well if that is your custom prepare to die uh. i know all seven animal styles the crane the stag the horse the tiger the bat the rat the monkey the beetle I will take you, old man. Is is now like it's gone from the public consciousness. 
that's dated as hell now. The, the, yeah. uh, so Meet the Robinsons has got no excuse because kids have now had a generation worth of really high quality kung fu movies. Adults have also had you know some fantastic things which aren't really accessible to kids either. But you know now kids get this. I dare say it. They've got the Last Airbender for the absolute pinnacle of uh, martial arts animated shows, and uh, you know there are bajillion animes out there with some you know really uh, you know awesome uh, action in them and that's what kung fu has become for kids the idea of your tongue is quick but how are you with a sword oh no uh, and the idea of basically what um, uh, you know, the west had to put up with in the 70s and maybe early 80s before all those Van Damme films started coming out and, and sort of like, you know, we are bringing karate power to the West and all those white guy karate films. Um, <laughs> that's, that's kind of passed into memory now, which, you know, I think it's kind of a good thing because it's a relic of a former age. But what's been retained, because the true kung fu fans now are able to get hold of the originals on DVD with the original uh, dialogue tracks and, you know, the original music and... Um, you know, a lot of the time with the original material reinstated because they would cut a lot of those to hell, is that Kung Fu has been rediscovered on home uh, formats. And so now you can get the 36th Chamber of Shaolin as it was actually meant to be seen. See, that's part of the key thing. I think what one of the biggest problems was the ridiculousness of trying to overdub these movies. Yeah. Half the time, they didn't even actually bother to translate it. They just watched the scene and tried to make up a new story. Well, he's angry at him for some reason, so let's just uh, let's just play this one out. I love, we'll do it live! <laughs> <laughs> to that end, um, th- there are various ages of Kung Fu, and uh, uh, Kung Fu Panda seems to somehow draw from all of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I say, the, the intro sequence, just as a way for, for saying, it, it's Pose I Want Song. You know, it, it's Pose... When will I be a real kung fu master? Only it's at the beginning, and it's so explosive that you kind of you don't realize how much you're already rooting for Poe to actually achieve this. Yeah, um, it's clear like this is like a major dream for me. He doesn't actually believe he'll ever yeah. attain it. He yeah. just wants to be near this greatness because he already has the humility. He's not an arrogant panda. He's, he's already, um, you know, he's soft and he's, he's just so full of love. Another thing that makes it real, like for storytelling, it makes it a real bonus that he's a fanboy. He doesn't have to have stuff explained to him. You know how like in, in the average film where like the average film with Nicolas Cage taking someone under his wing and teaching you how to be a sorcerer. Now I have to tell you all about magic is that, he doesn't have to be you know, told all about these paintings. I've only seen paintings of this painting. He doesn't have to be told about the dragon sword. He knows all about the Furious Five. He even knows about the whooshy finger hold. So mm. it's, it's really just about applying that external Asperger's syndrome levels of obsessive knowledge to actually being able to, to, to incorporate that through himself and actually find what he is able to do within that. But the advantage of him being so obsessed with it is that you still get the opportunity for exposition because he is so, you know, hopping about from foot to foot and and enthusing about everything that's in front of him. You still don't miss anything. Yeah. In fact, it 
because he's so enthusiastic about it, it lends like it really gets across that legendary feel. Because normally, whenever you get the master explaining something, he's very blase about things. Oh, yeah, this is yeah. this relic. This is this yeah, relic. But it's like this is Master Rhino's armor with authentic battle, battle damage. Another thing, Jack Black as a children's entertainer. Um, I've loved Jack Black for absolutely years. I think I saw him first in Biodome or another awful Paulie Shaw movie where Tenacious D basically guested as a busking band or something like that. Tenacious D's uh, first album has been my go-to for when I'm feeling down. Um, and uh, but you know, so I've I've been through Jack Black's Blue shows. I've watched the um, HBO specials where uh, Kyle has a butt baby. By the way, Kyle Gass does uh, uh, feature in this as one of the Shaw Brothers, which is a, a pair of pigs, and uh, that's a reference, of course, to the Shaw Brothers, legendary kung fu. Uh, I want to say directors, producers. I probably will be. Uh, I will be given the whooshy finger hold for not knowing what uh, their actual role is. <laughs> I, I'm going to say producers though, because it was. Shaw Brothers films. Um, okay, so I've seen um, Kyle Gass have a butt baby. I've seen Jack Black swearing his way through the filth. And I've seen The Pick of Destiny. And Jack Black is never better than when he's working with kids at something that's kind of smart. This is kind of smart. School of Rock. I almost said movies there. School of Rock is sublime. Again, fantastic. Gulliver's Travels, eh, Basically, when Jack Black is just in a lazy film, he's as unwatchable as Kevin James. But when Jack Black is on form and they're being used to his absolute best, it, it's in stuff like this. He, he definitely gets across, like, it, it gives you that enthusiasm, like, this guy's so into what he's doing right now, you just get caught up in it. Yeah. Now it's time for me to tell you about young Nasty Man, arch-rival and nemesis of Wonder Boy, with powers comparable to Wonder Boy. What powers, you ask? I don't know, how about the power of flight? Does it do anything for you? It's levitation, Holmes. How about the power to kill a yak from 200 yards away? With mind bullets! That's telekinesis, Kyle! How about the power... The performance of James Hong, who I mentioned earlier, as, uh, as his father, is also really key to it. Because you, you, you get from the very beginning that although he's oblivious, uh, and that's part of his act, um, he's very brittle and worried. And like there's all these like tiny little twitchy, nervy kind of like, uh, someday he's going to ask why he doesn't look like a goose. It, the fact that it never gets asked... It's, it's it, like there's this what bit at the end when Poe like is about to say, you know, how come I'm you know not you know not a goose, and he doesn't say it, and it's they keep so that they keep that fragile little secret at least until the next movie, just to keep that bond between them there, the idea that um, Poe's father, despite not being his biological father, begins and ends this movie as his his parent, his guardian, and he's the one who gives him the little secret at the end. For, you know, noodle soup, he's trying to impart, you know, noodle lore to him. But in doing so, he basically unlocks all of Kung Fu. I mean, uh, the thing is, like, Poe's never, he's never had any reason to question that his father's his father, because that's just the way things are. Yeah. And when, when things just seem so normal to you, you never question it. It actually reminds me of a Steve Martin film called The Jerk, where he's told by his loving uh, black family that he was adopted, and he, being as 
why does the first white lifeboat off the Titanic, is surprised. I don't want to say Poe's oblivious, but he's able to sort of get through his life without really taking things on board. It's only when he's he's overhearing people being mean about him behind his back that it, it starts to hurt him. And it's very important that that hurts him because we kind of want to go through that. Well, we don't want to go through that with him, but we feel for him. When he uh, when he feels that down, these are all these seem all like basic story tropes to say. Oh, you know, he is sad, and so we are sad. But I mean, it's it's hard to do. It's hard to do right when people have seen this story a thousand times. Mm, empathy is a hard emotion to mm. like without making like showing terrible atrocities. Empathy is a hard thing to make something make naturally yeah um, occur in people. Yeah, at least on the film. Yeah, I mean, but you know, people start a film saying, "Okay, why should I care about this character?" And they have to be told pretty soon. And if they uh, aren't told soon, then there needs to be some reason why we're still engaged with this character a good hour or so in. And if that if that's never really properly justified, you have failed as a storyteller. Uh, but th- there's a the balancing act throughout this film. There's actually multiple balancing acts. They balance the comedy, they balance the drama, and they balance the pace. And there's, you know, they could they could have made it just perfectly balanced between comedy and drama, just perfectly balanced uh, in terms of action versus uh, dialogue, but it goes on for an extra half hour. Speed Race is a really good example of this. That is a, a really great balanced movie up until the point where the, you realise that there's been at least half an hour set aside for some subplot to do with gangsters that you really didn't need to see. And too much of that kid and the bloody monkey! Which is, of course, ridiculous in animation terms. Why would you give yourself all the extra work? Well, we did all these other scenes. But um, pace is another huge deal. This film is so watchable. It just goes... Skadoosh. And it's done. And you're like, oh, I could take more of that. It's got that compulsive kind of... Everything's so bright and beautiful to look at. And uh, I didn't really think about it until they mentioned it today. The directors that were saying that basically that the characters are big teddy bears. They look like soft toys fighting, which allows for these incredible kung fu scenes. And when I say incredible kung fu scenes, if you guys haven't seen this yet, this is the best kung fu I've ever seen. This is the most eye-popping, eye, you know, this just like wow, 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 stacked upon wow moments in a movie. It's got three, four, at least three, possibly four, of the best fight scenes and action scenes committed to cinema. And that might be a little bit of hyperbole on my part because I have a particularly soft spot for this film. But um, I, I went in there thinking, oh, come on, it's just going to be, you know, fat gags and probably lowering the bar, fart gags as well. Empire or Total Film or Mark Kermode, maybe. I can't remember who it was that convinced me in the end. It was like, right, you guys have got a lot to answer for if this just turns out to be uh, obesity and flatulence. But yeah, it's, it's an enormous balancing act. Mm-hmm. Favorite comedy moments? Um, hmm. <laughs> I, I think one of the big ones for me is just him running around the relic room. Yes. Mm-hmm. In pure excitement, just explaining everything. Yeah. And the, uh, after he, when he goes for the vase... And you're like, oh, yeah. don't, just don't. We know you. We know this to be true. You are clumsy. Don't, don't. And they're doing that thing where they're like, you know it, we know it. And then he doesn't uh, smash it. And then uh, he gets surprised by Shifu. It smashes. But what really sells that gag is the, ah, 
which happens every time he nudges the pieces <laughs> of all of these disturbed ghosts. Second favorite moment, him eating monkey's cookies. What? I eat when I'm upset, okay? Oh, no need to explain. I just thought you might be monkey. He hides his almond cookies on the top shelf. Don't tell monkey. Look at you. Yeah, I know. I disgust you. No, no. I mean, how did you get up there? I don't know. I guess... I don't know. I was getting a cookie. Don't tell monkey. Yeah. It's the fact that he doesn't stop that gets that yeah. for me. He just keeps eating and eating and eating. Well, that's what pandas are kind of like. They've studied pandas, clearly, and pandas mm. just do what they want. Poe's um, far more enthusiastic than normal pandas. Yeah, yeah, like, of course. Yeah. Mm. In fact, yeah, he's the best panda ever. I'm going to go ahead and say it. But uh, yeah, my, uh, I think maybe my favourite actually comes immediately after Tigress has done her regression thing and she's told you about um, Master oh. Shifu. And, oh, uh, yes. And it's, it's an incredibly, like, you know, it's a heartbreaking moment. Just like, it's not really heartbreaking up until the point where Shifu is f- doing a flying kick in towards his former student, like, trying to defend the Dragon Scroll and he turns back into the kitten and then... I mean, just that, you know, the, the snap of his legs as Tai Lung just batters him aside because he has no such compunction about, uh, th- you know, throwing down his father, basically. You know, th- they don't really make a big deal about it, about it, but Tai Lung is his son, and he walks with a pronounced limp from that point onwards. And now he has a chance to make things right, to train the true dragon warrior. And he's stuck with you, a big, fat panda. He treats it like a joke. Oh, that is it! Wait! My fault! I accidentally tweaked his facial nerve! And may have also stopped his heart. Would have liked to see more Seth uh, Rogen in this, because yeah. every line he delivers is a pearl. It is. And and that is, if, if I'm going to find a weakness in the film, it's that there just isn't enough Furious 5. And um, it, that's, you know, the same across uh, Kung Fu Panda 2 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, they're, you know, wonderful fun characters and we get a bit of tigress in both films and that's about it uh, luckily there's you know you get you get to go into all of that stuff in the uh, the extra animated shows and the the tv series which i have yet to actually watch which possibly because i hold this film in such high regard i don't want to see a watered down version of it mm. yeah. I could possibly have taken just a few less slow motion moments and just like 10 more minutes or even just five minutes of finding out like just little things about Viper and uh, Crane and uh, Mantis and Monkey when they were younger. In fact, if you can find Secrets of the Furious Five, which is a little 2D animated series of um, shorts, watch that in in conjunction with this after seeing the main film because that – you know, fills in some lovely little uh, uh, earlier moments for those characters' lives. Poor Tigress had no idea how strong she was. Nobody would come here to adopt a child because they're afraid of her. She's a monster! A monster! The orphanage needed some help. Tigress? I am Shifu. I am... Afraid? No. Well, you should be. I'm Tigress. Tigress the monster. The monster no one wants. You are not a monster. 
You're just a little girl. Let us play. You must learn to control your strength. And so the training began. I think the, the comedy moments for me that really got to me were um, Shifu's moments of agitation. Yeah. Because of the way... It's, it's like this is somebody who's been studying Kung Fu for the vast majority of his life and is far from being a young man. And yet he is still so impatient and so frustrated with things. And you see that gradually reduce as the film progresses. But you still get these fantastic little moments where something happens that there's there's really no reason that he should be as wound up about it as he is. And yet. Yeah. Zing! Fly to Chalkum Prison and tell them to double the guards, double the weapons, double everything. Tai Lung does not leave that prison. Yes, Master Shifu! One often meets his destiny on the road he takes to avoid it. We have to do something. We can't just let him march on the valley and take his revenge. He'll, he'll... Your mind is like this water, my friend. When it is agitated, it becomes difficult to see. But if you allow it to settle, the answer becomes clear. The Dragon Scroll. It is time. But who? Who is worthy to be trusted with the secret to limitless power to become the Dragon Warrior? I don't know. And, and uh, Rattle Duck Kim somehow manages to, uh, you know, in collaboration with the animators, somehow manages to balance between being, like, the wisest Yoda-type character you've ever met. Like, yeah, there's, like he says just a few things. You're like, wow, there's, there's so much more there that I need to know. And he's also incredibly funny, but not in a wacky way, just in a kind of, a, you know, the, 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 the wise fool kind of way. It's, it's Shakespearean. Um, so when he passes, that is heart-wrenching. You know, that's uh, it, it's it gets to me more than more, more than Yoda dying in, in Jedi, actually. It does get me every single time. Mm. I, you know, whether it's we watched it three times in the last 48 hours mm. um, and every single time I had tears in my eyes. Yeah. I mean, even his death is majestic. He just like walks back away towards the cliff and turns into pink cherry blossoms. I mean... Like, it gets across, like, even in death, he's a man in peace. The, the, the whole peach tree speech that he gives to uh, uh, Shifu at that point as well. The, the, yeah, Poe is, you know, clearly the peach in this. And it, it all t- this all ties in with the whole accepting things for, uh, for what they are and not trying to force them to be something else. You know, it's, it's very simple. So it's deceptive. By our very natures, we want complex answers to complex questions. So when the suggested response ends up being really, really simple, it feels like the question hasn't been listened to or understood, which causes us further frustration. But there's just so much wisdom in this that, you know, you you could pretty much just watch this. Like if you were stuck on a desert island from birth and you only had one movie, you probably wouldn't be far wrong as a a, a person if it was Kung Fu Panda. Of course, you wouldn't get all the cultural stuff, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, there's enough in this to keep you amused and to keep you thinking and to keep you, uh, fluid enough to accept life's, um, 
many, many trials. My old friend, the panda will never fulfill his destiny, nor you yours, until you let go of the illusion of control. Illusion? Yes. Look at this tree, Sifu. I cannot make it blossom when it suits me, nor make it bear fruit before its time. But there are things we can't control. I can control when the fruit will fall. <laughs> and I can control where to plant the seed. That is no illusion, Master. Ah, yes. But no matter what you do, that seed will grow to be a peach tree. You may wish for an apple or an orange, but you will get a peach. But a peach cannot defeat Tai Lung. Maybe it can, if you are willing to guide it, to nurture it, to believe in it. But how? How? I need your help, Master. No. You just need to believe. Promise me, Shifu. Promise me you will believe. I... I will try. Mm, good. My time has come. You must continue your journey without me. What, 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 what are you, what? Master! You can't leave me! You must believe. Master! There's a big theme of um, of cycles and circles as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. They managed to uh, give it very much a feel of the the idea of the flow of chi and, and yin and yang. Without, I know they go, they go into it more in um, in the sequel, but there isn't a great deal of overt yin yang imagery mm. in this one. Um, I think there's a the the most prominent one for me was there's a, a, a part where they have kind of a circular framing to the shot and mm -hmm. half of it you have this swirl of green and the other half you have this swirl of yellow mm. and they merge into each other um, but they, they don't have apart from Poe himself and maybe this was was part of the choice because I mean one of the things that stood out to me as we were listening to the commentary was the uh, the emphasis that they put on the importance of the colours um, but there's very little in terms of stark black and white apart from Poe explain the colors actually because uh, these are things that you just you just don't get the first time around but then you, you watch it again and again you'll notice certain things thematically recurring mm. uh, there's three main colors so if you want to just go into blue green and gold well they worked on um on a color theory where they had a, a very definite palette laid out um, and they wanted certain colors to reflect certain themes and for that to become a shorthand now Children's films tend to use very bright, vivid colours anyway, but to to see that being 
a way of telling more of the story than you actually get to say on screen, I thought was a really, really um, genius way of doing it. Yeah. So the the idea was that um, Blue, which is usually when Tai Lung is on, is on screen, uh, the lighting is very blue. Either it's dark and so you've got the, the light cast from the moon um, or they're in shadow in some other way and so the overwhelming imagery is blue um, in, and that kind of fit in with him being a snow leopard as well because he's got this sort of lovely grey fur. Um, they referred to it in the commentary as, as being their negative colour and I don't think they meant negative as bad but negative in the sense of the inverse, um, of, the inverse exactly, yeah. things mm. having been taken away. Um, and over the progression of the film, it kind of struck me that there's you can ally that colour specifically with fear and self-doubt. Um, if you if you notice in the flashbacks, um, Tai Lung is actually lit in gold, which I'll explain in a second, um, until the point when Uguay says he can't be the dragon warrior and then everything becomes blue and you get the whole scene with the massacre is all lit in blue as well. Yeah. Um, the green which I kind of always think of a ver as a very neutral colour anyway, because green is obviously, it's the middle of the rainbow, it's the middle of the, the uh, light spectrum. Um, it's it's the, the pH colour of water, com you know, completely neutral. And um, that's, that was represented by Uguay, who is green anyway because he's a turtle. But if you look at the places that he tends to spend his time, the, the Jade Palace, particularly the room with the um, the kind of, I can't remember what it's called, the hexagram-shaped pool. Um, that's all tricked out in green. The uh, place with the Pool of Tears where Shifu takes Poe to learn, which is the place that apparently Master Uguay invented Kung Fu in the first place, is all very green. It's very grassy. You've got other colours coming in with the, the blossoms on the trees, um, but the place itself has a very green feel to it. Um, and that was there to represent wisdom and knowledge um, and it, it, there's a lot of places where green kind of uh, is woven in with other colours to indicate that although there may be other things going on there, the knowledge and, and um, wisdom that Uguay has left them is kind of there underneath. And then gold, uh, which is sometimes sometimes gold, sometimes orange, um, the, the tone of it shifts a little bit, um, was about heroism. Yeah. They use it for enlightenment. They use it for realisation. Um, you have a lot of uh, gold light coming in. Uh, many of the, the key moments in this film happen at either sunrise or sunset as things are shifting from gold to blue and back again. Um, and um, the the bit I'm talking about where you have the, the swirl of gold and the swirl of green is when um, Shifu is apparently dying on the edge of the pool and um, Po has come into the the, uh, the Jade Palace and the door that he's left open behind him is letting in this lovely gold light that's kind of holding him up as the hero. And as he walks towards Shifu, the shadow that he casts creates this swirl that's gold on one side and green on the other um, mm -hmm. and you have these these little flecks of color that come in in other locations that it's, it's never commented on but it just reveals a little bit more about that character so uh, Tai Lung although he is he's this gray and, and sort of enveloped by the blue color his eyes are gold 
And one of the points they made was that when you look at a, a villain character, villain in inverted commas, they're going to be more interesting when, in fact, they are the hero of their own story. And if you told that story from their perspective, it would put them as the protagonist and, you know, all the people who are blocking them are not... Although they're our heroes, they're the antagonists to that person. Mm. And this was why Tai Lung had gold eyes, because he, as far as he was concerned, he was the, um, the hero of his own story. And Shifu has blue eyes, which is the fear and self-doubt. And, and it's Shifu's fear and self-doubt that's caused them to be in this position in the first place. And you were the one who pointed out, Alex, that um, Poe's eyes are in fact green. And the only other character with green eyes? Is Uguay. Meaning that Poe, despite all evidence to the contrary, is bestowed with inner wisdom. Mm, absolutely. And also, if you notice, there are two characters whose external colour and eyes match, and that's Uguay and Tigress. Yeah, she's got, uh, she's got orange eyes as well, uh, but they don't fill her... The, the irises don't fill her eyes in the same way that they do for... Tai Lung, because all he sees is himself as a hero. Mm, absolutely. And also, Tigress's eyes, um, although they are goldy orange, there's a little bit more of a red cast to them. Yeah. And red was also a very uh, prominent colour for the um, uh, the animators and the designers. They had red as what they referred to as their power colour whenever they wanted to do a scene um, that was particularly striking and, and spoke about you know strength and power. They would use red, so all the, the inside of the training room in the Jade Palace is red, um, you know, the, all that lovely red wood. Um, the scene where uh, Tai Lung is in the prison when they look down the shaft you've got um, around Tai Lung is all blue but then as you go up through the shadows the top part where all the rhinos are and the guards and the the weapons and everything is all lit in in fiery red Um, and later on when Tai Lung escapes you see the blue actually spreads up as he puts out the lights as he comes further and further up the shaft yeah there's uh, there's other uh, relationships between uh, Poe and Uguay as well. They're both very round in terms of how they are presented. They're ovular, actually, if you look at them. They're not mm. sp- uh, spherical. Um, but you also, both characters you meet when they're upside down. Uh, Poe in the real world when he crashes out of his dream uh, and back onto the bedroom floor is you know, shown to us upside down with his head pointing downwards. And Master Uguay is first found in his shell upside down, balancing mm. on his uh, stick. Yeah. And that, I think, is is kind of a signifier of these two characters' willingness to literally look at the world upside down, change yeah. their perception of things um, and their shape. You're absolutely right. They're both sort of almost um, circular, certainly elliptical, um, allows them to do that very easily. They can mm. roll, um, you know, Poe bounces and and rolls around all over the place. And obviously, Uguay's got the whole turtle shell thing. Um, but he he turns upside down and balances on the end of his staff and does all sorts of things. Both Um, wise, both unafraid to be foolish, although Poe is held back by uh, not wanting to appear foolish in front of people who he hopes will respect him. It's it's almost as though he was, you know, used to try doing Kung Fu when he was a kid, but then people laughed at him because it looked silly so that he stopped. Uh, But by the end, he is unafraid to do his Kung Fu in front of absolutely everyone because he has uh, faith in himself. I I feel it's more that um, because he spent so long um, idolizing Kung Fu that he wants to be respectful for it. And he's never seen himself in that image. So when he's trying to approach it, he, he wants to get away from what he is and 
copy the what he's seen throughout time instead of learning to adapt, yeah. which he does eventually. And it kind of annoyed me when I was looking at the uh, the progress of the uh, character over. It, it didn't annoy me until I really found out what happens in three or what doesn't really happen all that much in three, which is progression of Poe as a character. And it bothered me that at the end of this film, Uguay's gone and Shifu is kind of really supposed to... You know, basically, Shifu is supposed to take one step up and you know, take Uguay's place as the wiser, older master, and Poe is supposed to take step up and become a teacher. And uh, Because it's, it's still the Furious Five and Poe. But now that I think about it, ultimately, if that would just be trying to force Shifu to be like Uguay, which he's not. He's not the same peach. He's a different kind of fruit. Ultimately, it would appear that Shifu's place is to be Shifu, which, by the way, uh, mean well, Sifu in in Chinese is um, means master. Sorry, Chinese is not a language in uh, Cantonese. Mandarin. Oh, Mandarin, oh. even better. That's more of an ancient Chinese language. Ancient Chinese secret, huh? Uh, it means master in uh, in uh, Mandarin. I, um, I will I will say that little name thing did like. It, it's, it's, oh, I know it's it bothered stupid, you? but yeah, it bothered me. He's like, why is his name Master Master? That's Master Master. To me. <laughs> From the people who bought you Mario Mario. Do you think it would have been called that in uh, China? So it would have been Shifu Shifu. It would just be Su- Sifu. Yeah. Maybe. But his, his name is actually Sifu. His, his name, would it would appear, is just Master. It's actually, one of those weird things of where, when you know what the translation means, it doesn't make sense. But just if you don't know, it just sounds like a cool Chinese name. I'm just going to check now because uh, whenever I say Poe's father, I now have to slightly readjust that because, of course, of what happens in Kung Fu Panda 3. Um, we have to qualify which of Poe's fathers we're talking about. Um, so, uh, let's see. Kung Fu Panda because ultimately, what's James Hong's character name? I haven't looked up. Mr. Goose. Mr. Goose. Um, well, apparently Brian Cranston's name is Lee, and James Hong is called Mr. Ping. So he had a name. He was Mr. Ping all along. <laughs> <laughs> So to round that one off, uh, it would appear to be Poe's destiny ultimately to take over the uh, um, Master Uguay role and to be the uh, wise uh, continuance of, um, of of Kung Fu and to you know reside atop the mountain eating peaches whilst you know uh, more students come and go, rather than you know everybody jump into the uh, boots of your former employer. But another point uh, regarding you know Kung Fu Panda Three, Poe is in fact not overweight. He's a panda. Yeah. <laughs> he's exactly the right size and shape for a panda. It's just that he's only ever around uh, geese, pigs, and rabbits. I mean, think about a thin panda. That just looks wrong. Yeah. Ooh, in fact, you're like, give, give that guy some bamboo, for the love of God. That panda is clearly ill. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a, a sort of an ugly duckling element to that as well, which yeah. I think mm. then is... Uh, kind of underlined by the idea that he's been raised by a duck or a, a goose, goose. Um, <laughs> but um, but the idea that his place exists, he just hasn't found it yet. Yeah, a favourite character in the whole story, and this one's going to be hard, I think. <laughs> Number one would be Uguay, then mm-hmm. close behind. It it's sort of like a um, draw for me between Poe and Tigress, and then it's Tylon. I. Do love Uguay. Um, his 
philosophical outlook on life, his inability to be ruffled by almost anything. Mm. And obviously that death scene is amazing. But for me, I think Tigress is my personal favorite just because there's so much personal identification in with her. Yeah. Most of my favorites also occupy a top spot all sharing because I love Tigress, I love Tai Lung, um, I, I love Shifu, and I love uh, Ugwe. I'm surprised how much I still love Tai Lung. You know, he's, he, he's supposed to be a bad, bad guy, but I feel really sorry for him the whole way through. I mean, his mindset is like his father raised him with this purpose. Yeah. And he found out, finds out that this is being denied from him, so he tries to take it, obviously resulting in terrible consequences. Mm. And even after that, he still has the mindset of, well, if I'm not going to be the Dragon Warrior, it must be my destiny to be the man who defeats the Dragon Warrior. Yeah. Because that's what he, his whole thing is. Like, when when they when he meets up and fights the Furious Five, he's thinking, what, what's the Dragon Warrior's name? Poe. Our battle will, will be, be legendary. legendary. Like, he wants to make a name for himself. Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah, no, he's, he's blinded himself. And, and he never goes through any periods of, um, of self-doubt, really. There's, there's moments when he's like, wait a minute, th- things aren't as I expected them to be. But they're fleeting, and he never uh, wavers in his path. And he's, he's blinded himself. Mm-hmm. And one question I was thinking when I, I watched it back again, one of the many times uh, this, this week, was um, Ugwe could have killed him and, uh, or, or destroyed him or used the whooshy finger hold. Uh, Ugwe could also have shown him the dragon scroll. Why didn't he do either of those things, theories? Well, the dragon scroll, I just do not believe he would understand it. Mm. Because... Um, because of how Tai Lung is considered a powerful person, he wouldn't understand the lesson of the power being within you. He's quite an external person. Mm. He, he would simply turn that around and say, no, that's not the real scroll. Where's the real scroll? And there would never be an answer to that. Mm. And I think part of Uwe maybe thought that there was a possibility of redemption for Tai Lung. Because yeah. if you think about it, when that happened, that was right after the decision. And perhaps mm. like, during that period, they tried to get through to him, and he just, because of his personality, he just remained dogged on that point that he should be the Dragon Warrior, yeah. leading In, to his imprisonment. Instead, they gave him time alone with his thoughts that, you know, hopefully he might learn some humility down there, and he didn't learn anything at all. See, I have a weird little picture in my head of each time they lock him up, he just gets out, so it just increasingly got worse and worse until he got to his current prison. It's uh, th- that that whole sequence is amazing. That, yeah, that, is, that that's like that the, might be my favorite scene in the whole movie. Yeah. His escape. Uh, folks who have, uh, follow my work will, of course, be very well aware of Tiger's Eye. I think this sequence, and specifically uh, the, the the characters of oh, let's see, there's so many characters in this who actually who who aspects of them have made their, their way into characters in Tiger's Eye. But there's you know if you've if you've listened to or read the whole thing, you'll know that there's a Tai Lung type character in there that I've I've taken that character I type and gone further with it. The you know to a degree, Master Tigress 
there's a lot of her in Harau as well. But specifically, the movement of Tai Lung during the prison breakout, where he switches between fighting on his on both of his hind paws to bounding along like an animal uh, on on four paws, and just he can switch back and forth between those. And it, specifically, he seems to go under four when he gets more angry and more feral, coupled with his astonishing aerial work. You know, when he's moving through the air, it's like the ground is just something that affects other fighters. That informed so much on both the movements of uh, the characters as described in the, the book, but also on the, the, the mindset of the characters, that they would be animals that were anthropomorphized, but still just on the cusp where, um, to begin with, when you first hear from Harau, you're not sure whether you're basically hearing the thoughts of a tiger until she goes into more and more um, elaboration on what kind of armor she's wearing. And you're like, oh no, hang on, she must be standing up, she must be wearing armor. And then, you know, she goes in further and further into the civilization that she's actually part of. But I never wanted to entirely separate them from the wild animals that they are uh, so closely touching. And one of my challenges was somehow describing in, in words and text and music and sound effects the sense of visual splendor and movement of this film and many others, so that when you heard the words, you saw something as dynamic as this in your mind. It's one of the chief inspirations. Uh, Jerome, if you've not heard it yet, I, I really recommend you go listen to it. <laughs> I will do. <laughs> I am currently on a very large audio books kick, so this will fit in quite well. Cool, cool. But yeah, that's the thing, Tai Lung manages to balance scary with exciting, which is a really, really tough balance. I don't think I can uh, really, I think Bane is similarly scary and exciting, um, as played by Tom Hardy. Uh, Immort Immortan Joe, Hulk. Um, you know, some, some of the most fascinating uh, of, uh, you know, especially physical or especially like single-minded of villains possess this level of uh, of being scary because you're not sure what they're going to do. I mean, somebody said, oh, you know, he's just a giant um, furry tiger. He can't do anything to me. But ultimately, this was on the production, but it's it, you become more and more worried the more you see what Tai Lung can do, what he's going to do to the characters that you started to really care about, especially when you see what he does did to Shifu in the past and how deep that anger goes. But he's also so entertaining to watch. And Ian McShane's dialogue in it, it kind of, it doesn't really fit, almost. When you, he should be like, he should be totally humorless and just evil. Like um, Shang Yu from uh, Mulan. You know, the little girl will be expecting her doll. Just evil, dedicated to villainy. Yeah, but um, when he picks up the 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 uh, Zeng, the the, uh, the goose, and just starts stroking his head, you're like, "Oh my god, he's going to kill him!" He's and going he's to like, eat him. Fly, fly away! Inform Master Shifu that I'm coming for him. And he's just he's suave, he's smooth, but then Snow leopard. Yeah, and when he's he's on the bridge during that incredible bridge sequence, rather than getting all angry and going, "You cannot defeat me." He's walking along it calmly, just showing how incredibly balanced and accomplished he is and not afraid of the Furious Five. Mm -hmm. And just totally in control of that situation. Hey! Uh, stairs. Uh, uh. Who are you, buddy? I 
I'm the Dragon Warrior. Ah. You? <laughs> Him? He's a panda. You're a panda. What are you gonna do, big guy? Sit on me? <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> now, nah, I'm gonna use this. <laughs> you want it? Come get it. Finally. He's got kind of a scar thing going on. Yes. I, uh, I feel that was one of the major um, inspirations. That's why they went with that sort of voice. Mm. But I can't not feel sorry for him. In the same way as I can't not feel a little bit sorry for Scar sometimes. But when he's, you know, shouting at Shifu, you know. Here, I rotted in jail for 20 years because of your weakness. I'm saying your master is not weakness. You knew I was the dragon warrior. You always knew. But when Ugwe said otherwise, what did you do? What did you do? You were not meant to be the Dragon Warrior. That was not my fault. Not your fault? Who filled my head with dreams? Oh, who drove me to train until my bones cracked? Who denied me my destiny? What I ever did, I did to make you proud. Tell me how proud you are, Chifu. Tell me. first moment I've been proud of you and it was my pride that blinded me I loved you too much to see what you were becoming what I was turning you into I'm s I'm sorry Your apology. And he's really just channeling. He's going back to his child at that point, and just going back to every single ounce of resentment that he's been stewing on for 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 twenty years now. Mm. But I think that having him respond to things in many different ways is a really important part of what makes him such a multi-dimensional character. Because the bottom line is this: no real person is one thing. Mm. Nobody reacts the same way to everything all the time. And and the way um, you, your villain in, in Mulan responds... Shen so Shen Yu. Because he is so dark and, and so uh, full of... It's not even really hate because you never really see why... He's behaving that way. Um, he's he just, hates the emperor. Well, I suppose there is that, but he, he's basically just a till of the hun. It's um, more maliciousness. Yeah, yeah. it's just it, this very one-dimensional, stereotypical evil. Um, and and it this isn't makes bad, it bad feel... mouthing Mulan, by the way. No, I no, love not Mulan. Not at all. Not at all. But in a way, that's kind of an interesting flip because it's based on. Uh, real events. I mean, I know obviously yeah. they have wildly <laughs> fictionalised them, um, clearly, but it's it's based on real events, and yet you have this very one-dimensional single-reaction villain. 
Um, but by having the fictional story have uh, a villain who is not really a villain and does respond to things in many different ways. And the fact that you can see um, up until the very end of the film, that could go a different way. He doesn't have to go down the path of complete darkness and destruction before he can be redeemed. But everything, uh, as I said before, there are no accidents in this film. Even the, um, the, the goose feather falling down when Zeng goes to uh, visit... Tai Lung. Um, as far as uh, Master Uguay is concerned, that feather was meant to be there. Tai Lung was meant to break himself out. I mean, and, the, uh, the very actions of trying to keep him out got him out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's self defeating. Which is often the way. If you fixate on the thing you don't want to happen and the thing that you don't want to do, Chances are you're going to end up doing it. If Sifu would just had faith in his armaments and what they've locked Tai Long in, mm. nothing would happen. But because he obsessed about the possibility of him escaping, that's what brought about the escape. This this does actually read very much like sort of ancient Chinese um, uh, storytelling. In that you know the, 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 there's a lot of proverb type things going on. There's a lot of um, there are parables at play here. And there, there are even just like fun things that get followed up on, like when um, Michael Clark Duncan's brilliant. I think I can't remember what his yeah. exact name is, but it translates to as lightning. The um, uh, it's the, Thunderbolt. The rhinoceros. Oh, Thunderbolt. Sorry, Commander Vachir, the, uh, the the rhino god. I just I love hearing Michael Clark Duncan's voice in anything. It's each time it's like a treasure. But when he stamps on his tail, oh, did I hurt the widow bitty kitty's tail? That's followed up in at the very very end when Poe yanks the tail out and Tai Lung bites down on it and makes the kitten noise to indicate that, yeah, that hurt. And it was also really embarrassing. Any other bits that you can think that uh, that get followed up in later? Because it feels a little bit like um, an Edgar Wright film, like um, uh, Hot Fuzz or uh, Shaun of the Dead, in, in terms of the fact that they lay down these um, pins and then they bowl them later. They do, um, and it, it happens really frequently, actually. I was, I was ever so impressed with some of the things that they seed early on. Mm. Um, and, and you don't... It's done in such a way that if, if it had been done in a different approach, it would have been really obvious that this was being planted for something later on. But listening to them talk about it in the commentary, in a lot of cases, it was more that they put these little things in just because they thought it was interesting and, and, um, and cool. And then later on, they were trying to think of a solution for a certain uh, plot twist. And mm. they were like, well, we've thought of all these different ideas, but actually there's something back there in Act One that we could use. So it's almost like an organic follow-up rather than... Um, starting with the end point and then having to plant a map or a key or a lighter um, elsewhere (laughs) earlier in the film. I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but so you've got the the fact that when the goose that's being sent to check on Tai Lung is leaving, he bumps into something and half his feathers fall out. So when he drops a feather in the prison, you don't think anything of it until it lands in front of Tai Lung and he uses it for his to manipulate the lock on his armour so that he can escape. Another one that's uh, huge is um, when uh, Shifu first starts beating Poe up in front of everybody and embarrassing him and just kicks him all over the yard. He's saying, you need to find your uh, foe's weakness and uh, use it against them, make them suffer. Um, Poe does that 
with the scroll because that he works out that's what Tai Lung's weakness is. He wants mm. the scroll, and so he he torments him, uh, not not in a spiteful way, but in a you know in a, a childish game of keep away. That's that's what's so wonderful about that final sequence because you know we've we've already had the most breathtaking kung fu sequence ever, uh, you know, the, several of them in fact, and we've had a deeply dramatic personal fight loaded with emotion and anger. But ultimately, Tai Lung and Po don't know each other, which is kind of the key to their standoff. Tai Lung doesn't even know what to expect from this guy. He starts off intimidated and resentful, and then he meets him, immediately dismisses him because of his size and the fact that he appears to be acting like a buffoon. But then when he can't land a hit on Po that seems to make any impact, we actually get to see Tai Lung properly scared. And it could just have been, you know, Poe is such a badass and their, their original plot was going to be that this battle rages for two years. Like, Poe wouldn't have got hungry somehow um, and and destroys half of China. But it just, it made much more sense for Poe to basically just sort of return using all of the things he's he's learned and, you know, even down to the fireworks that he uses to get over the wall to defeat uh, tai Lun without a sense of desperation, but more with a sense of, oh, okay, well, I'll use this. Oh, okay, well, I'll use this. Using the uh, uh, the, the giant chopsticks to mirror the chopstick battle with, with Shifu, which, by the way, is one of the most in- incredible little moments in, in the whole thing, you know, trying to get hold of those little dumplings. Also in that same fight, Poe uses the skills that he learned to climb up to high things and get a cookie to catch the scroll. And then when he's trying to stop Tai Lung from catching it in midair, it's hearkening back to the scene with the bouncing dumplings and he's trying to pull Shifu back down so that he can get hold of it. And another hilarious gag from earlier when the acupuncture needles couldn't quite pierce his frame in order to have any kind of effect. You know, we all laughed, ha ha ha. But that's the one thing that stops him being susceptible to the acupressure attacks. Thus inverting a weakness and turning it into a strength. Uh, even the, the whooshy finger hold, that was just a thing that happened in the uh, movie. But then they were, like, they were like, how do we defeat him? We go back to that and just skidoosh. There was a sort of a purity to that ending. Because how do you completely defeat Tai Lung? Do you kill him? Do you make him bow to you? Does he bow to you of his own accord? Does, you know, do you basically just knock him out and send him back to jail? Do you thrust a sword through his belly so he goes cross-eyed and dies in the conventional sense? Does that fit with the rest of the movie? Or, or does this magic just obliterate him? There's a sort of a purity to actually what happens with the Wuxi finger hold and the fact that you don't know. And the fact that Tai Lung is simply gone. And the equation is balanced. It kind of feels like they're also going back to the Matrix and going, probably just have done this instead of all of that rubbish. (laughs) 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 Another one of my absolute favorite characters is is Shifu. um, He starts off, you know, seeming very wise but stern. But, you know, as it goes by, you realize how human for a red panda and how flawed and how angry and how much of a student he is, ultimately. Just because he's teaching all of the, the, the Furious Five, He's been being taught by and leaning on Ugwe for all of those, those years to the point where when Ugwe goes, he clings to that stick and uses it offensively and starts you know, beating uh, Poe around with it, prodding him and being mean to him with it until eventually, um, you know, in 
when Tai Lung tries to take the stick, that's what initiates the fight up until that point. He's being defensive and the stick breaks. And that's part of what makes Shifu just drop to the bottom of his pit and actually just accept that there are some things he cannot change, some things he cannot defend against or plan for or counteract. And letting go of Oogway, symbolized by those little peach blossoms going across there, is all part and parcel of his peace. I feel that uh, Uwe only left when he truly felt that it was time for Shifu to stop being a student because yeah. throughout this whole time he's always been a student. He's always had his master to go to advice and wisdom. Yeah. And it's now it's time for him to understand that you won't always have someone around to part that um, information to you. It's just about your own personal perspective of yourself. Again, that's, there's incredible parallels there with Yoda because Yoda decides, look, I had to confirm this thing to you. Your father, he is, and now I really have to go because at the moment you, you are coming back to me to talk about this stuff. You, you've got stuff to do. Go, go do the thing. <laughs> Put the thing on the other thing and save the universe. <laughs> and um, But, you know, uh, there's a sadness to the way Yoda goes and a regret, but there's something so beautiful and... Um, peaceful about the way that Ugwe goes. He he looks as this upon just simply, you know, moving on to another plane of existence and there's no fear there. And again, you know, you've got the beginning of life and the end of life all rolled into this film so that, you know, if again, if you're back on that desert island, you're only ever seeing one thing ever. You've got Ugwe there to say not to be afraid of death. Which is the biggest thing humanity is still yet to get over and it's going to take an evolutionary leap for us to stop being so afraid of death that's true i think though the the idea that um there's a sadness in yoda's death that's not there in Uguay's, i think that has to do with what they're both aware they're leaving behind ultimately Uguay is leaving so that shifu will step up and um yoda is does not have the confidence in Luke that Uguay has in Shifu. Yeah. Not yeah. that he not that he doubts him exactly, just that he Uguay has seen his spent, da- that his dad's a wrong one. Exactly. And, and Uguay has spent his whole life with Shifu. He knows what Shifu is. Yeah. He knows what's within him. And in all honesty, I think he just thinks he needs the opportunity to act without having his master there to constantly come back and check on. So are you saying, no more training do you require? Already know you, that which you need. I, I, is that what you're saying? Yeah. I feel it's. I feel a good an- analogy is um, that um, Yoda left Luke like a seed where um, Uguay left Sifu like a tree. He's seen yeah. him grow. He knows what he's capable of and he, ho- he knows he can weather whatever comes towards him. Yeah. Whereas That's with a Luke, really a lot of it's... Lot of it's still up in the air, like he's putting raw faith into what Luke will become. Mm, yeah, somebody that he had great doubt in in the first place. Yeah, because he thought he was too young. It's it's quite um, a common theme, actually, this idea of the the teacher leaving or dying so that the student can become ready, rather than when the student is ready, the master moves on. The master has to leave so that the student can reach the next phase. They do it in Buffy as well. Uh, in Once More With Feeling, uh, Giles decides to leave because Buffy is relying on him to to pick up after her. And he knows she won't 
step up and, and move on until he goes. So he does. Yeah. Actually, and at the very, very end of this, because obviously we're used to uh, the, the Obi-Wan character just dying and departing and leaving, when they were screening it, um, this little heartbroken kid was murmuring to his mother, is Master Shifu dying? And his mother was like, yes, honey, he is. So when he comes back, it's kind of refreshing. I'm not dying. I am merely at peace. <laughs> that was a great moment. It's lovely. And it leaves you with this incredibly kind of joyful um, moment. Because you're expecting the whose sorrowful hero cries over his dead master scene where, where it's like, no, no, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I was really hurt back there. I'd like to take a rest right now. Yeah. Things seem oh, to I like, have two I'm, limping legs. <laughs> I can finally take a rest. Thank you very much. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it, they could easily have, have just made Shifu dying because, you know, ultimately that, you know, would have been true to the drama. That would have, uh, it, it would have been an entirely acceptable ending. The fact that it's not uh, means that they can really do stuff with Shifu in two. Nah. Or stuff in, with Shifu in three. Nah. Um, but either way. He's around. He's there. Sort of background dressing. But, okay. But Dustin Hoffman's performance the whole way through. And specifically when he's, when he's, you know, quote unquote dying, he played it as though he was. He got across the weariness, yet the acceptance of mm. his situation. But also because he responds to Poe rather than just going, I'm not dead, I'm merely at peace. Because he snaps at him, it shows that, you know what, we don't change that much. <laughs> yeah. also, so certain things about us change, but ultimately that... Peace, that, huh? that, <laughs> that cranky chestnut is always going to be a cranky chestnut. <laughs> And that peach will always be a peach. So there's, again, there's, there's so much in, in this film to just to cherish. And um, I think but possibly just if you combine this with The Secrets of the Furious Five, just to know a bit more about these guys, uh, you got yourself a perfect film with a perfect short. You know how they put shorts on at the beginning of Pixar films. And this short goes on for 24 minutes. Also, FYI, the tone of the shorts skews young. It's uh, Poe telling a bunch of little children learning Kung Fu uh, a little bit more about the Furious Five. But that doesn't mean it's not without its moments of poignancy, many of which are worthy of the film itself. Then, yeah, then you know, all, all together, it's, it is a wonderful experience and one that um, I, I'm, I'm just so glad came out when it did because it gave DreamWorks a sense of, you know, well, maybe these guys can do wonderful things. And then Dragon came along and confirmed it. Yep. And Shrek 4 came along and said, you know what, Shrek may be dated as all hell, but we can still tell a really good Shrek story. We didn't even mention Jackie Chan and David Cross and Lucy Liu <laughs> as uh, as the other remaining members of the Furious Five. Or indeed Angelina Jolie, who gives incredible poise and dignity as uh, uh, Master Tigress. The only character who unfortunately has to go through the whole movie, um, not the least bit amused with any of the antics. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, again, she, her commitment to, uh, to Tigress is she's playing a full dramatic role here. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the, the little speech she gives about, um, you know, just feeling like she was a disappointment before she even began for Shifu. There's, there's a little subtle moment when she kicks back that... Um, bouncy thing which clearly is for training children uh, it sort of bounces off the wall but if you remember when Tai Lung did it as a kitten it bounced off the wall and knocked some weapons off the rack indicating that he is ever so slightly better than her so she basically has to go through her whole life as a nine 
a level 9 kung fu fighter, that she will never quite get to that number 10. So when Poe jumps in front of her, it's teeth-grindingly frustrating. It's like I was this close to being, you know, admittedly a level 9, but I had that potential to, be, to reach level 10 as the Dragon Warrior, and you stole it. But instead of unloading on him and screaming at him, she has the poise to sort of keep all of that down to her duty and keep it calm within her whilst she's boiling and just go on being Master Tigress. Then you find out in secrets that her greatest weakness as a child was having too much of a temper and overreacting with destructive consequences. So retroactively, you see how far she's come. Yeah, I, I feel the only person they um, get across their disappointment of not being chosen for the <laughs> Dragon Warrior is... Crane. <laughs> well, his is a bit more, like, genuine, like, sarcasm, like, you know... I've had a long and day. disappointing I thought I was going day. to be the Dragon Warrior today, you know, <laughs> it didn't happen. I'd like to just, like, sleep. This is my place. Yours is over there. Rapidly of Crane. David Cross <laughs> is one of the funniest men on the planet. Yeah. And, uh, again, just could have done with a whole lot more of him. Uh, and uh, and Lucy Liu, again, she doesn't have so much to work with. What's she got? Yeah. She's a snake, and she's nice. <laughs> uh, again, though, you find out more about her in The, the Secrets of the Furious Five. But, um, you know, ultimately, for the, for the brief moments they're there, and, of course, you know, Jackie Chan, almost given, like, this honorary mole. As, uh, yeah. Honorary mole. He, he turns up in Kung Fu Panda 3. I'm the honorary mole. He's playing loads of different characters. Yeah. Um, no, he, he gets the honorary role as, you know, you are the Kung Fu master. And when we were watching him on his, like, the backstage stuff, you know, this guy is like 75 years old, still got a full head of black 20-something hair. What is Jackie Chan drinking to make his hair so young? He looks like he did in 1975. I suspect magic. Probably. Because this man's been injured and fallen over more times than anyone alive. And you know when he finally goes, it's going to be like choked on a ginkgo leaf or something. Or just something just totally unbefitting of a warrior. And as uh, you know, I, I, must, I can only assume he will turn into cherry blossoms when that happens. He is a treasure. Love Jackie Chan. I love how, like, if you think about making a monkey a kung fu master would be too easy. Like, to yeah. have the monkey be the main... If it wasn't Uguay, I would have thought the monkey, they'd have a monkey as one of the, yeah. as the, one of the oldest, like, wisest warriors. Because just Cause monkey means easy. wisdom in China, in, in the Chinese culture. He's, uh, he's uh, a wise and, and uh, benevolent uh, being, but also mischievous. There's, a, there's a two sides to the monkey. Yeah, they do get a bit across, like, his, his humor. Like, him and Mantis seem to be... The closest to a comedic duo, because they like to joke around more. The true path to victory is to find your opponent's weakness and make him suffer for it. Oh, yeah! To take his strength and use it against him until he finally falls or quits. But a real warrior never quits. Don't worry, Master, I will never quit! If he's smart, he won't come back up those steps. But he will. He's not going to quit, is he? He's not going to quit bouncing, tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I love the dialogue in this. 
it's just it's perfectly timed and um, now the directors and writers really need to be commended for, for their sterling job because if you listen to the commentary it is immediately apparent they approached this thing like it was a dramatic film like it was the best kung fu film ever filmed and they weren't just doing an animal an animal picture for DreamWorks like Jerry Seinfeld's B movie a film which literally revels in its not going to attain a status they made an animated kung fu movie they just yeah. happen to be animals because so. that's easier to think of when you think of styles of kung fu it was directors John Stevenson and Mark Osborne and rather than have their animators study hour after hour of footage of kung fu they taught them kung fu that way every single move would be animated with an air of authenticity that they knew with familiarity would be appropriate for each situation let's begin now? yes now, unless you think the great Uwe was wrong and you are not the dragon warrior. Oh, okay. Well, <clears throat> I don't know if I can, I can do all of those moves. <laughs> well, if we don't try, we'll never know, will we? Uh, yeah, it's just maybe we can find something more suited to my level. And what level is that? Well, you know, I'm not a master, but uh, let's just start at zero. Level zero. <laughs> no, there is no such thing as level zero. Hey, maybe I can start with that. That? We use that for training children and for propping the door open when it's hot. But if you insist... Whoa! The Furious Five. You're so much bigger than your action figures. Except for you, Mantis. You're about the same. Go ahead, Panda. Show us what you can do. Um, are they gonna watch or should I just wait until I get back to work or something? Hit it. Okay, yeah, I mean, I just ate, um, so I'm still digesting, so my kung fu might not be as good as later on. Just hit it. All right. What you got? You got nothing, because I got it right here. You picking on my friends? Get ready to feel the thunder. Come out with crazy feet. What are you going to do about crazy feet? All right, come on. I'm a blur. I'm a blur. you never seen bear style. you only seen praying mantis. Or monkey style. <laughs> or... Come at you, snickety snake. Would you hit it? All right. All right. Why don't you try again? A little harder. How's that? This will be easier than I thought. My tenders. How did I do? There is now a level zero. Another extremely well-timed slapstick scene, seemingly just in there for the kids, until you realize that this is exactly what Poe does to Tai Lung. He becomes the training dummy, he becomes hazardously bouncy, and Tai Lung can't land any kind of hit, and eventually becomes so battered and confused, he doesn't even know how to respond. Level zero, the perfect circle. Drops Mike, this has been School of Movies, Skidoosh!
This week's episode is brought to you by Corkscrew.com. And let me tell you folks, if you want to find yourself a corkscrew, there is no website out there with a wider range of I'm still joking, we're supported via Patreon. And if you back this show for a dollar or two a month, you'll also be backing A New Century, our ongoing sci-fi audio drama. Here's a clip from Tiger's Eye, which is many things but often feels like an animated series where the visuals are all in your head, to showcase a little of the interpersonal relationships. I race to my father's house. He is not inside. I raise my nostrils and find the faint tail end of his scent. I follow it, bounding through the village to where he is mending a loose set of boards. What is it? Are you hurt? Please come and see me at my house. Quickly. I am back there in moments. The creature has not stirred. Soon my father turns up again. You know I hate leaving a job nearly done, Harrell. I hope this is important. Otherwise, what am I looking at? Stay quiet, and please don't bring this to the rest of the tribe yet. I need some help and maybe advice. I uncurl the leaf further, and he gets a better look at what is inside. I don't understand. Oh. Do you know what it is? It's... No, I have no idea. Where did you find it? The river. It was floating down from the north, clinging to a branch. He may have caught a chill in the water, or perhaps something worse. Would you like me to fetch the healers? Dada, can you stay here and look after him, please? Nobody but me may enter. If Haka returns before me, you should- I will watch over him. You go. Thank you, Dada. So let's wrap up. Uh, We will be back with Kung Fu Panda 2 next week, and at some point in the future, most definitely, Kung Fu Panda 3. Uh, As it is, though, this film on its own, for me, is pretty much perfect. If you haven't somehow seen it yet, you know exactly what to do, folks. If you have somehow seen it, but don't yet own it in HD, it looks gorgeous in HD. And it does. Yes. Um, Jerome, thank you so, so much for coming on, and I can't wait to chat to you again next week. No worries. Looking forward to it. And before you go, tell us about Game Burst. Uh, You can find me over to Game Burst. We do a plethora plethora of different shows we'd have a new show every sunday and a round table slash quiz on thursdays upcoming is i believe our replayed on lego city undercover oh i want to find out more about that because every, every time i say oh i'm so tired of lego games someone says pipes up you could get lego city undercover you got 70 quid knocking around <laughs> <laughs> or lego dimensions that's really good you got 70 quid knocking around <laughs> yes, so well I don't sir <laughs> tune in to hear what we think about that ok right so that is it from us and we will leave you on the Kung Fu fighting song so I've been Alex Shaw I've been Sharon Shaw and school's, school's out. out
Okay, you wanted to talk to me about Kung Fu Panda, right? Um, yeah. Um, it's just, well, I thought the film was very funny and my favourite part was when, um, what's his name? Poe. No, um... Shifu. The little guy. Master Uruguay. No. The you don't know how to tease her. <laughs> don't tell her it's, the answer. It's the green cricket. The mantis. Um, thingies. my... The thingy mantis. Um, I like the point when he, um, stabbed his initial nerve and went... Ding. Facial nerves? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, Do you have any favourite bits that were more emotional and less funny? My my emotional part was the one with um, when uh, the part that Tigress was saying to Poe that um, all the things about um, Thailand, Thailand, and um, what happened in that. Because that was a reflection on Tigress as well, and how she related to Shifu. Hmm. Who's your favourite character? Yeah, favourite character. My favourite character... And why? ...is Tigress, because she's very athletic. Oh, they're all athletic. They're all at the peak of athleticism. Except for Poe! Yes, yes. Okay, so Tigress... But there's other reasons why Tigress is a great character, besides her incredible physical fitness. She's um, very good because of the voice and how she acts. How does she act? She Angelina acts very Jolie. serious, but all the other guys laugh and stuff like that. Mm. Because why is she so serious? She's serious because she, um, when the big day comes, she's like, Oh, well, I wish Mr. Ugwe would choose me. Please choose me. And what happens? And she doesn't get cho- chosen because of Poe just went, I know, and flinged up in the air. And I love Kung Fu. Ooh. How do you think Tigress feels about that? Um, I think it's like that she feels like that she's confused and she and she's a bit angry. Yeah. She spent a long time working on that. Yeah, for about like 26 years or, mm. or something. Yeah, What do you think of Tai Lung? Is he scary? He's funny, sort of. Funny, sort of. But he is scary, isn't he? Just a teeny bit. Only a teeny bit scary? <laughs> he is actually funny when he goes, What are you going to do, Panda? Sit on me. <laughs> Don't tempt me. <clears throat> Is it your favourite animated film, or do you prefer something else? Um, my like favourite animated film, no. My favourite animated film is Inside Out. Ah. We'll have to ask you some questions about Inside Out when we do that, then. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Lyra. Okay. Bye. Bye.